Welcome to another episode of The Inquisitive Analyst. I'm your host, Marcus Udekang, and it's the show where we chat about business analysis and project management issues and the challenges and triumphs within those two fields. It's inspiring, informative, and very much inquisitive. My guest today is an agile consultant, an author, and a trainer. He's also helped design the PMI ACP credential and he's written two best-selling books on how to study and pass the PMI ACP exam. He teaches courses in Agile Leadership, Agile for Executives and Preparing for the PMI ACP exam. He's also a long-term contributor to project management publications. You might see him on projectmanagement.com as an author, and he's been a chair of the group that developed the Agile Practice Guide with the Agile Alliance and co-lead on the PMBOT Guide 7th edition. And he helped create one of the very first Agile approaches, believe it or not, DSDM, back in 1994, which was a forerunner for enterprise agility. So please help me welcome to today's show, joining us all the way from Canmore, Alberta, Canada, Mike Griffith. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Marcus. Very nice to be here. Well, I appreciate you coming on as a guest. I want to ask you, how did you get started in project management? Sure. Um, so I started off well with a computer science degree, um, and then I got into software development, worked on some fairly large projects, like some large military projects that had very formal specifications and, uh, you know, tracing requirements to tests and the whole um, high, high process approach to doing things, which, which is very rigorous and very good and what you need for high consequence environments. But man, it's also very slow uh, and very um, difficult to change. Even if you know something isn't going to work, the the process to communicate that um, you know is a real real struggle. So um, I worked on some kind of death march projects, you know, that were we knew they were kind of going the wrong direction and doomed for failure. But in a role of a, of a software developer our uh, circle of influence was was kind of limited. So I was a software developer, but I always wanted to try and fix this, try and improve this process so it could be a little bit more common sense or um, easier to, to course correct. And so I, would, I just looked out, you mentioned um, being involved in the creation of DSDM, one of the first agile approaches. And that was purely by accident. I was working for a company in the UK called Data Sciences, that were later acquired by IBM. Um, and it just so happened that a number of people from data sciences were involved in that creation uh, of dynamic systems development method or DSDM. So I, I got involved in that group. They were doing great things. They were you know, responsive to change or listening to the customer. They were prototyping and getting early feedback, um, finding out what we should do. I remember one of the formative moments for me was um, we'd been getting the users involved in interface design, and that worked really well. They could tell us exactly how they wanted something to look. Um, and we also extended it to get them involved in architectural design too. Uh, and that was a disaster. You know, uh, they were suggesting all these 
approaches that weren't technically viable and uh, wanting to skip, you know, basic fundamental engineering. And so we we said, okay, so user input in screen design, that's a good thing. We'll do more of that. User input in architectural design, not a good thing. Let's not do that. And seeing how we, you know, incorporated what worked, we rejected what wasn't working and just adjusted the, the whole DSDM approach based on experimentation, you know, really got me into, wow, actually, you know, we are or we can be in charge of our kind of own destiny and, and help shape how we define our ways of working. And so kind of long answer, but I think I got into project management with this desire to be more efficient in how we um, run our projects and translate that idea from, you know, a vision of something to delivering the value um, out of the other end of it. I just I just get a buzz out of solving problems and, and building stuff and uh, yeah, making that transition from, uh, you know, idea to reality, from vision to value. Uh, it's, it's just a great, it's been a great career for me. Now, talking about vision to value, you've got pmillustrated.com. You founded this website and it's right. all about visual learning tools making project management more fun, more engaging. So how sure. do we gain a deeper understanding of project management using visual learning tools? I mean, how does that increase value or how does that make it easier to be able to deliver value? Right, yeah, now, so we've, we've zoomed right to pr present day. So I was involved in Agile, got into project management. Um, and throughout my career, I've worked with some super smart people. And quite often I, I think, okay, I need to dumb that, dumb this down so I understand it. Um, and I either used to kind of secretly draw little diagrams and images of, of how stuff feeds in. So I remember drawing, you know, all of the inputs of a system, what it does with them and, and what it has to update out the back end. And these kind of very simple models. And then I found as I was a project manager, the best way for me to explain where we are in a project or the issues and things were with some of these models. So I started um, really presenting in a more visual style. And I realized that project sponsors and executives appreciate that because we can now all point at the same thing and say, this is where the problem is, that bit's good. You know, this is what we still need to, to build out and do. And so, <clears throat> you know, many years ago, I made this transition internally to presenting visually. And then I realized that people, appreciate that um, and you know uh, agile and lean has this idea about make work visible make processes explicit and it's also that we can have a better conversation about a lot of these things that would otherwise be kind of invisible right knowledge work is often solving something that we can't physically grab hold of or or point to so anytime we can visualize an idea it helps us gain clarity so long answer but PM Illustrated is my latest endeavor, and it's about explaining project management um, to visual learners. So it, it's all about creating a big picture first, allowing people to see relationships and the structure and drill down into details, and then explain things graphically. So there's a lot of um, mind maps and infographics, as well as cartoons and you know uh, things to make it make it fun as well. So. PM Illustrated is actually um, a complete learning curriculum for the PMP exam. So now that uh, PMI's 
project management professional or PMP exam contains agile and hybrid content as well as traditional. Um, I wanted to, you know, create my own curriculum for it that's for the visual learner. And so it's all there. You can go in and take a look. Um, and yeah, it's been a big shift for me. But one I've really enjoyed using less words and more pictures. Um, and it seems to you know resonate with people, especially younger learners that don't want to be reading um, 800 pages of you know the sixth edition of the Pinbot Guide anymore. The, the seventh edition we created is a lot smaller, but um, you know there's still a lot of dry, boring academic content out there for a lot of this material and. Project management is anything but you know dry and boring. We're we're wrangling all these people with different ideas and objectives and and kind of agendas or desires, um, and so it's it's a dynamic and challenging career. So why why is project management like um, courseware so dull and academic and boring? It didn't seem to gel. So PM Illustrated, yeah, cartoon animals. Um, you know, mind maps uh, and quizzes and games and points and badges to try and, uh, you know, present this information in a different way and hopefully a more engaging way. Nice. And you mentioned hybrid agile, you mentioned agile, you mentioned traditional approaches. And I remember looking on the internet and seeing that you had presented at this HTEC project management virtual conference back in September of 2022. And you had a presentation called Beyond Agile. Mm -hmm. And um, in that, you you talked about this uh, this hybrid agile approach. So what's you, you mentioned this yes and. So what's this yes and approach to hybrid agile that you were talking about in that presentation? And how sure. does it relate? Yeah, to, absolutely. To so beyond, beyond agile, um, I wrote the two ACP prep books that you talked about. Um, and then beyond agile is like an advanced level um, for what's next. You, you got your ACP, you know, you're a you're a certified um, agilist. Um, what what's next? How do you extend your career? And so that's what beyond agile the book was all about. Uh, and it and the yes and and the hybrid component of it is um, agile is a great starting point. I still think it's the best way for us to undertake um, knowledge work projects. Right, it's got the, the the core there, but when I was researching for the Beyond Agile book, I looked back at all of the projects and the companies I consulted with, and you know a lot of organizations were doing Agile but weren't super successful with it. Um, so you know they were getting projects done, but in relation to the highest performing teams I've ever worked with, they just weren't at the same level. Uh, and I've been super lucky to to work with some great teams and. One, in fact, in Calgary that won a PMI Project of the Year award. We went from an in an in sort of in-flight struggling project that was being debated about whether it should be cancelled to delivering and, and, like I say, winning a PMI Project of the Year award. And the difference between that team and the other teams I'd worked with um, was that, yeah, they used they used Agile. A lot of them were ex-ThoughtWorks consultants that used to consult on um, Agile, but that wasn't all that they used. In fact, Agile was kind of a small part of it. Some days, you know, they would be working directly with the business and learning all about the business. So they, they had the Agile mindset, but they did a lot of industry-specific stuff. Um, our success was in big part to uh, a product owner 
who were who was very smart and great at bringing out the best of people. They were using a lot of uh, leadership and emotional intelligence. So um, it went beyond the servant leadership that we talk about in Scrum and, and other agile approaches, and really tapping into understanding how to motivate people, um, how to kind of get them to lean in as opposed to withdraw uh, when we run into problems and conflicts on a project. Um, and you know what? And sometimes because we were part of a traditional organization, a lot of the things we did, and, and my role was really to, to run interference with the existing PMO uh, and give them all the old school reports and, and things that they needed, right? So it felt like, and this is where the yes and, we definitely did agile. Everybody was, was you know, really embracing that mindset. But I did some traditional stuff. The team were experts in the business. We had this great product owner doing a lot of good leadership and emotional intelligence support. Um, and those four domains of agile, traditional leadership and emotional intelligence and industry specific became the sort of the, the focus for this Beyond Agile book. And the yes and is, yes, we do agile and we do these other things besides, right? So it's it's the genius of the and that um, uh, that gets described in the book um, from good to great, right? He talks about, you know, let's not choose between or, are we gonna do traditional or agile? Let's embrace them both where it makes sense. Um, and so yes, and is all about a smart hybrid approach that yes, is centered on um, agile, but it's not afraid to reach out into other domains to bring in, you know, situationally specific uh, practices. And so, yeah, the presentation I, I gave that you must have seen the summary for was about this, uh, you know, combining agile with traditional and uh, leadership and emotional intelligence and industry specific practices uh, to be successful. Uh, and that's that's what I found the very best teams do. Yeah, they're doing agile, but they don't make a fuss about that part. You know, they, yeah. they solve today's problems no matter which domain they draw from. Right. Yeah. Uh, there. I've always, always worked in hybrid environments. I've never right. really worked in 100% agile yeah. or 100% waterfall. Uh, and just talking about leadership and emotional intelligence. So, you know, the PMBOK really talks about how PMs can operate effectively, efficiently by understanding where you know, responsibility, accountability, authority, all these things that reside with the organization. So how, I mean, looking at leadership and emotional intelligence, how can these two things add value, great value to agile approaches? Uh, anything else that you want to add to that that you haven't done? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to understand um, the, you know, projects are people driven. They're thought up by people, they're executed by people. And the products and services that we build are used by even more people, right? So we can't ignore the people side. But I certainly remember when I became a project manager, first off, I kind of drew comfort in the sciencey stuff. I was gravitated towards plans and estimation and risk management, calculating, you know, um, critical path and because it's kind of mathematical and I had a computer science background and and this stuff I could control right it was cool and I could calculate when we should be done uh, and it, it it was easier than interacting with the grumpy stakeholder over here or or the team that's bickering over here and and of course the, it's the people side that's more important right the the science and the tools yeah it's kind of nice and we need to know how to estimate and do risk management. Um, but it's because everything is so people centric, 
um, we really need to draw on that leadership and emotional intelligence, right, to be effective. And, and so now I've created this model that, you know, you need to learn the basics of technical project management. Uh, and that's really just get, like getting your driver's license. But then to be effective, we need to learn how to deal with people. And that's what PMI calls power skills. It's what we're calling leadership and emotional intelligence, right? How do we engage with people? How do we resolve conflict? How do we build consensus? You know, share a vision for where we're trying to get to um, and, and help people when there is obviously competing demands along the way. So, you know, the, the good news is that um, our IQ sort of peaks in our early early 20s, but our emotional intelligence, we continue to build later into our lives, right? And and I think we just get better at dealing with people the more experience we we have. And and I think project management is a great career because it it rewards and recognizes that. You know, as we get a bit older and more mature, and you know, we understand our our own emotions and perhaps empathizing a bit better with others. Um, we can continue to progress in our careers um, by building those leadership and emotional intelligence kind of skills. So it, you know, it's it's great. I think it's a good news message. Learning that those are so critical. Well, we're we're like conductors. You know, we're conducting leadership, conducting planning, conducting an organization, uh, and how it runs and processes. Uh, you have a quote that I found on your website really um, ignited my mind. Process has weight but knowledge is weightless. So if we're looking at the planning, we're looking at leadership, we're looking at you know, trying to have this organization work effectively, how can PMs detect, how can we remove insufficiently performing process so that we can focus more time, more effort on that value delivery? Yeah, you know, all of the process that we carry um, with us, it, it, like I say, it has weight. Um, and so if we choose to undertake you know, a, a document or a process um, that will have a time impact or a cost to us. And that's fine if it's adding enough value, right? If it's preventing us from making a mistake, if it's reminding us to think about something, then absolutely I, I'm all for it. But quite often we continue to repeat these processes or have these meetings or ceremonies, perhaps after they, they um, add sufficient um, value. So, you know, I like to work with teams maybe join a retrospective and say, you know, do we need it? Do we need it anymore? Is it still adding sufficient value? Um, and, and this was first introduced to me by that high performance team I work with in Calgary, when, when they said, oh, Mike, we're thinking of dropping the uh, daily coordination meeting, what we used to call the daily standup. And it's like, oh, isn't that kind of key? You know, you guys, that's fundamental to all of these different agile approaches. Why, why would you want to drop that? And they said, well, we're communicating constantly. You know, we're all sat here together. We don't have to set aside 10, 15 minutes to, to have that. Um, let's try it for a week. And so we tried it as an experiment, um, you know, to, to stop the daily coordination meeting, daily stand-up. And, you know, nothing broke um, and things continued. And so we, you know, I got excited about this and, and supported the team. And so they they dropped iterations or sprints and had a continuous pull from the backlog. And that worked great. Dropped estimation in points and went to like a t-shirt sizing of small, medium, large. Um, and so we dropped so many of the traditional agile ceremonies, including retrospectives. Why would you wait till the end of a, 
iteration to to make an improvement or run an experiment why why not do it immediately you know and i don't recommend teams start there um but i really like the mindset of asking is it still adding enough value or is there a, a faster cheaper smarter way um to keep the original intent but without the cost right and so um i think you know we can ask does it add value let's try without it we can always add it back in again. Let's run an experiment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we have a responsibility to our organizations, really, uh, to think about the, how we spend our time and, and what we ask of others. Um, and just because we've always done it that way isn't, isn't a good reason, right? Mm -hmm. So it, that's really not a continuous improvement mindset that's uh, pretty much stuck where you are. So, yeah. That's true. That's true. But the thing is, we we uh, so we we get this efficient system. We're modifying the processes. Um, we're adding value. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of of the coin where you've got interruptions, you've got obstacles in the way, you've got impediments. So what can yeah. we as PMs do to protect the team from these low priority items to help uh, not interrupt the flow of, of the team? Right. I think that's one of our roles as a project manager is to kind of shield the team from interruptions or some of them. I mean, many of them are high, high value or high consequence and the team needs to know about them. Right. But I think perhaps we could be the first line of filter um, for our project team. So, um, you know, people like uh, Chick Semitai talks about flow. And how when you're in the state of flow, you're hyperproductive, time seems mm -hmm. to vanish, uh, and you're just cranking out value. Every time we interrupt that state of flow, you know, oh, it takes 20 to 30 minutes to get back to where you were. Uh, and so if people are pinging our team with random requests or, or whatever, um, their productivity is not going to be that high. So better to um, funnel that through, you know, me as a scrum master or a project manager, and I can try and shield them. So I think there's a few things we can do. We can perhaps define an interface to our team. So in other words, if you have a request for the team, perfect. We have, um, you know, we have a backlog here of requests or, or questions. Um, you, anybody is free to go um, create a ticket or add a card to that pile and we will look at it, right? Um, so create a request hopper kind of backlog thing. Um, another super effective way and how it's been done before is that quite often, if you want to get something done, you kind of remove the team from the normal corporate structure and create like a skunk works um, separate project team, right? That's highly effective because you're now decoupling those people from the normal interruptions and drains on their time. Now, it may not be a repeatable model if, if your whole organization is, is splintered and pulled apart into these separate groups but yeah we, we really have to be care careful about interruptions to our team um another example was i remember when we before covid we we're all working face to face i'd have people on my team who would message me you know on chat when i'm sat right across from them and it's like seriously i'm right here why why would you not just come over and speak to me um, and then I realized that, you know what, it's easy to ignore chat and respond to it when you're done what you're working on, right? So it pops up. Yeah, fine. I'm just going to finish this. Okay, so what, what did he want? Okay, sure. Yeah, I can send him the so-and-so document. And so I learned that perhaps 
using chat or a, or a messaging system could in fact be a less intrusive way of interacting with somebody. And so in terms of um, interrupting flow to the team, uh, yes, face-to-face -face is obviously, you know, the richest bandwidth and immediate Q&A and stuff, but you, you are interrupting somebody. So, you know, I guess we should be conscious of how often we do that to our team. And if there is a way that allows them to finish their thought or whatever, that's probably better than, uh, you know, barging over there and or or calling them on the phone, I guess, is a more obtrusive way, right, of asking a question than perhaps sending them a, a chat message or or a, yeah, something like that. So being aware, I guess, of of flow um, and trying to let that you know do its do its magic. Well, you certainly expressed that exceptionally well. Now, you, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that you obviously have written books on PMI ACP. Uh, yep. exam and you teach people how to study for it so what what does the PMI ACP exam really encompass sure so the ACP exam is a bit different than say you know the scrum masters scrum practitioners and things that are out there in that it's deliberately approach agnostic so it combines multiple approaches so yes scrum is in there but so is you know extreme programming and kanban and lean um so it's multiple approaches that you might experience in your career as you move around as a, as a professional. But it's also combined with ideas from servant leadership and conflict management. So it's really a, a broader set of skills that you need to be effective in a, in a like a value delivery or knowledge work type of environment. It isn't just agile. Um, the practitioner part is broader to say, yeah, you know, Agile's certainly key, um, but you got to know how to work with people um, to, to get things done. The other thing that I think most people don't realize about the ACP is it is an ANSI um, level exam. So it's it's ISO, IEC uh, mm -hmm. standard. There's a 17204 exam standard. That means um, it's situational. It's a three hour proctored exam. It's not a 45-minute sort of easy multiple-choice quiz that over 85% of people will pass that many of these Agile credentials are, right? It, there's um, requirements to even sit the exam. You've got to have a year's experience on Agile projects. You've got to have a certain number of training hours. Um, so I think that's really what's most different about it compared to other um credentials a little bit like the pmp you know it has this um, requirements part it's not an easy exam but because of that um hiring managers can have more confidence in the people that have that credential right because it proves that you've got that project experience the training and the knowledge and skills to to be able to answer that pretty difficult exam so i i want to stay I, I want to study the pmi exam where should i start well, I guess um, if you go to the PMI site, you can learn about the requirements. So you understand what project experience you need to even qualify to sit the exam. And they explain the training that you'll need too. And then the next um, protocol, I guess, would be the exam content outline. That explains what's in the exam, all of the different domains and, and topics and stuff. And, and really that was the, you know, the starting point for my two books on the ACP exam. The, the exam draws on 
you know, a dozen books out there, Scrum books and uh, XP books and things. Um, and my book, the um, PMI ACP exam prep book, um, gathers all that information that you need and then puts it in a common voice and lays it out in a in a logical sequence. So um, given that you're asking me, you know, I would say go read my book that is that is geared up for helping you pass the PMI ACP um, because it it's limited to the the scope of what's in the exam. Um, but before all of that, you know, you do need to have a, a decent background uh, in agile projects. Yeah, that's what I'd recommend. So you mentioned the name of, of one of the books. What's the name of the other book? Sure. So I've got the PMI ACP exam um, prep book, and there's also a workbook as well. So okay. one is, uh, you know, a text base with exercises that you can work through. The workbook is actually, um, it's, it's fashioned on a backlog of topics you need to know to pass that ACP exam. And okay. there's a little Kanban board and you can move them across between, you know, ready to start learning about mastered. Um, and so it's a lot more topic focused and there's a lot more uh, hands-on exercises. So perhaps one is for the, um reading you know traditional exam prep book mode of mm -hmm. learning the the workbook is also more for the doer who likes to learn by doing by solving problems and exercises and there's actually a third book for the um for the acp uh, i've got a very small um book here uh, agile illustrated so there's the pm illustrated for the pinbot guide agile illustrated is the cartoon version for the ACP. So I've got six books in total. Um, and yeah, and that one is for, for the ACP. Wow, splendid. So I'm I'm just going to throw this out there for people who want to take the PMI ACP exam. Certainly the value that you're going to get is the practical side as well as the theoretical side and being able to take this back to the workforce to apply it. So I think that that would, would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's approach agnostic. It, you need to understand lots of different agile approaches. You also need to understand where lean and Kanban fit. And it demonstrates a, you know, an understanding of servant leadership and, and conflict management. So all skills that we are faced with, you know, um, on our agile projects. So I think it's yeah, a great cross-section um, across those disciplines to show that you you have those capabilities. Nice. Great. Well, thank you for being on the show, Mike. You've really given a good uh, surface explanation of PMI-ACP. You've gone even deeper too, which is even, even better. And I want to just thank you once again for, for explaining that to our audience. Oh, you're very welcome. No, it's been, been fun to be on. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah great. Now you've got uh, two websites. I just want to list them out, leadinganswers.com and pmillustrated.com. I mentioned pmillustrated.com earlier. So for the audience, if you're interested to see more about Mike or read more about Mike, uh, Mike's articles, leadinganswers.com, pmillustrated.com. Um, are you, you're on LinkedIn, Mike, obviously? Yes, on LinkedIn, but either of those websites also have um, an ability to contact me there. So um, yeah, happy for people to reach out. You know, I, I love this stuff. So please get in touch and see what we can do. Great. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's been splendid and you're always welcome back. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bye for All right. now. You're welcome and have yourself a great day. You too. Bye. Okay, bye. And now a word from our sponsors. The Lewis Institute provides an enterprise project management program 
that does more than just train PMs. It helps support them from the CEO level on down. These courses help certify project leaders and prepare them to pass the PMP exam.